The views and opinions expressed by the guests on this podcast are that of their own. In no way, shape, or form do they reflect the official policy or position of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. This episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is raw and uncut. Listener, be advised. This episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack was brought to you by Pressure Junkies. Wetsuits for a diver, designed by divers. Check them out at PressureJunkies.com. Descended into the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack, a commercial diving podcast by working divers for divers. This week's episode, we speak with Chad Kaysen, the general manager of Global Diving and Salvage in California. We are also joined by dive students from DIT who ask questions at the end of the interview. This portion will be added as a part two. Chad talks about his time as a saturation diver, his transition from field to office, and share some sea stories with us. Chad gives us the inside scoop on what he looks for when hiring divers. This is an important episode for the working diver who is hungry and possibly out of work right now. So as usual, please like and follow our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is Bottom Dwellers DS. Facebook is Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. So turn up those comms. Stand by. We're going to make it hot. Welcome to the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Got a special episode. We're uh, recording live from the Long Beach Rod and Gun Club. Nice. So we have uh, Johnny. How you guys doing? And uh, my old dive soup uh, ops manager, Chad Kaysen. How you doing, Chad? Good, good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, so Chad, uh, I think we talked earlier, you kind of kind of moved up a little bit. What's your uh, title now with uh, Global Diving? Uh, I'm, the, I'm the GM now for the California region. A little, uh, it's pretty bittersweet. Uh, I don't know, you know, most most folks have heard it through the grapevine over the past year or so, but uh, Kevin Pale, who was the, the previous GM, he had passed away from an from a unlucky heart attack. And oh, man. Uh, we were unfortunate to lose him, but... Uh, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know either. Uh, how how long ago was that? Oh, uh, September of uh, September, a year okay. and a half ago. So it was okay. Yeah, it was it was a bummer, man. Yeah. Was, you know, a lot of a lot of <laughs> consistent love for that guy throughout his career from everybody. It was you don't uh, you don't meet a lot of guys like that that have. You know, it's it, it's kind of corny and kooky to say, oh, you know, I touched all these lives in my time on Earth or within the industry. But I mean, he was a he was a pretty transparent, solid guy his his entire career, let alone his life. So he was a uh, he was definitely missed. We a bunch of people came from out of town and uh, celebrated, you know, that that chapter that had ended in his life. But it uh, it was it's just bittersweet, you know, taking a yeah. taking a position from the mantle of a mentor and. You know, he was a, he was good to me, man. He he was just like all the other people I've been blessed to work with. You know, just just a consistent guy, and you know, he passed down info to you. It's, mm-hmm. It was uh, it was sad to see him go, but uh, glad that he's in you know that better of a place after something like that happened. So, yeah, I, I mean, Kevin was one of those guys that kind of told it to you straight. You know, wasn't going to pussyfoot around anything. You know, and and and, and you're similar too, Chad. You know, that's why you're kind of loved in the industry too. Is you know, you you, you kind of. Yeah, like I said, you, you know, if there's something that needs to be, you know, worked on, you'll 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 tell the guy, you know. 
Yeah, there. I, I think uh, once you once you transition from the uh, the the heathenistic and debauchery ways of your twenties and and start to kind of get your feel for the trade and 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 you know you, you start to find characteristics and other people that you want to kind of emulate. You, you all you all tend to everybody tends to act the same or as they should as they get older. And I think honesty, whether whether brutal, blatant, or coddled is always the best method. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it depends on what you do with that honesty. You know, if you're going to be all butthurt and, you know, not, you know, oh, screw that guy, you know. Well, you're just saying screw that guy to somebody that's, you know, you know, seen a ton yeah. of things that you haven't seen, done a ton of things that you haven't seen, you know. And you might want to listen to this guy, you know. Absolutely. I, I think the one of the one of the bigger problems in any industry, not just ours, is that, you know, laborious men have a hard time compromising. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when somebody tells you that your idea stinks or that you're wrong or there's a better way to do it, it's, you know, instead of getting, instead of getting negative and defensive, maybe the, the better, the better first knee jerk reaction isn't is to go tell me more. You know why? Why isn't this working? Or it sounds like you have a better idea. Or maybe you've done this before. Uh, you know, please school me because I'm kind of out of options here. Mm -hmm. But Kevin was one for that. Yeah, he was. He was a straight shooter, and he was just a good guy. You know. Yeah. Now, now I think the first uh, the first job that I had worked for Global was a modems inspection, and uh, that was when Danny Broadhurst was running the uh, office down south, and. Uh, Anyways, they, they sent me up there, so I was supposed to send all my certs and stuff and everything. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Kevin on the phone and everything. And uh, talk about bad impressions. Like, my first impression that I gave him was pretty darn bad. I, uh, I was sending my certs, and uh, I was trying to start, like, this weird shell dive business at the time to where I was going to try to supply, you know, diving companies with supplies because my friend was a disabled veteran. So we were going to try to use that to kind of get in there, you know. So yeah. I sent the partnership agreement instead of my certs to Kevin <laughs> showing that I'm trying to start a diving company. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know how the hell he still had me work for him after that, you know, but uh, I thought that was kind of funny. It's like, crap. He responds, this is not your bridge inspection cert. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> if you could hire me and give me a cut of 10%, really <laughs> right. Right. But that was our big plan was we were going to start a dive business and try to get that 3% DVBE, you know, thing and, you know, kind of kind of work our way in there by like selling comms or something to, you know, global diving or whatever diving, you know, but uh, it didn't it didn't work out, you know, then uh, eventually fell through. And so, you know, here we are now with the Port of Long Beach. I can't I can't think of, of any diver that didn't have either like a side gig or hustle or something that they were constantly working on. And it was always like the million dollar deal. I think, I think, uh, Jimmy, uh, uh Jimmy Geisler. Yeah. I think Jimmy was the only one that really succeeded in having like the, the side gig that blew up and, and was a, and was a good product. You know, yeah. anybody that anybody and everybody that I, I knew that, that bought those, those chaps from him. And mm -hmm. I mean, they, they love them and, and, you know. <laughs> so if you guys don't know uh Jimmy Geisler, he uh he was the brains behind the uh, dive armor is is it dive armor chaps? No. I think it's I think it's dive armor. Yeah. But yeah, it was the diver chaps, you know, he saw a need in the industry 
and he came up with these badass chaps, and uh, they did really well. They're 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 pretty cool looking, you know, assless chaps. Chichors. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Diver chaps. So um, yeah, like I said, we we wanted to kind of have you on and uh and talk a little bit about what you're doing doing now and and specifically how you went from out of dive school to kind of where you're at now. You know, I want to know your dive career story, especially the transition from the field to the office, because we've got a lot of listeners that are kind of like myself in the 40, you know, 30, 30, late 30s, 40 year old range. 40s. I'm not in my 40s. I'm 39. 40. Anyways, in that range where, uh, you know, we're starting to look towards a transition because these young whippersnappers like these guys that we're looking at now, they're coming up and they're coming up strong and there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, for you old timers, nothing to be afraid of. You want to teach them to get them to, you know, to do some of that hard labor (laughs) for you. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of what we're going to, you know, go with tonight and, uh, yeah, we'll get started. So Chad, where, uh, where did you get your dive training from? I had, I had kind of the fortunate and, uh, unfortunate depending on how you look at it. Uh, I went to, I was in the Navy. I went to Navy dive school Nice. and, uh, I, I, I realized after I, I spent 10 years in the military and then, uh, I thought that, you know, you become a little, you become a little jaded and, and, and brainwashed with that type of status, you know, as, 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 as somebody special, you know, and I was lucky to go to go to a command where we where we dove all the time. Uh, but you could, I mean, the, the big difference between, you know, that chapter of, of, and that specific diving is it's not, it's not anything like the civilian sector. It's, you know, they tell you where to go and when to be there and how long you're going to be there. And as a, you know, in the, in the, in the, marine construction industry or you know underwater construction industry on the on the civilian side you may want to spend a little bit more time at a place to to kind of harness your trade so you know some guys they left school and they went to places where they didn't dive and they spent a a number of years there and and then you come out and you have what's been embedded in your head that you're this special type of guy and then you go out and you go offshore and you're nobody special <laughs> you're just a tender <laughs> right and it's a, hard, it's, it's a hard it's a hard kind of mountain to navigate if you if you get your your mind a little screwed up on you know how people are supposed to treat you and how you want them to treat you it's better just to you know it goes back to what we we're talking about kevin just stay truthful and humble you know coming in the door and then keep your eyes open and your mouth shut for a little bit and maybe you'll pick up on something. That was mm-hmm. immediately what I picked up on uh, getting out was that there's, there's little similarities between the the two kind of phases of my diving life at that time. And I, I really had to get out to, to learn the trade properly. You know, the, the idea of being comfortable in the water and having a, having a little bit more knack for uh, editorials and, and, and what's, you know, what will help you and what is worthless in the manuals. Uh, that was, that was a, that was a good starting point, but it didn't, my, my, you know, the really mastering what I could with my trade didn't happen until I got out. And uh, I, I bounced around to a lot of ships, husbandry places. Cause that's all I did, you know, for, mm-hmm. 
went with SeaWorld and oceaneering and, and I was lucky to, you know, not to, uh, not trying to plug them all over the place, but I was, I was pretty fortunate to find, to find global. I was, I was offshore on one of their DP vessels and, uh, we were doing a, we were doing a cleaning on their sat boat and, uh, had all kinds of problems with swell and, uh, people getting beat up under the, under the hull and, uh, using kind of prototype cleaning materials, really shitty atmosphere, but they, they had, they had seen something and, and I, I got my, my in through that job, you know, with another company and they said, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> don't, don't dive for, you know, for peanuts for those guys and, and end up getting hurt or, you know, or, or, or doing this and this same type of work forever for the same pay. Why don't you, you know, spread your wings a little bit and come on over here. And it was, it was the best thing that ever happened because I, you know, two weeks later I was offshore and I was in the middle of, at the time they had a bunch of DP vessels. They had a bunch of barges going on, all sat and surface diving in deep air. And it was just this big mixture of guys from all over, uh, you know, not just, that uh, that kind of stereotype Gulf hand. They had a lot of West Coast Union hands, mm-hmm. and they had East Coast, and you know guys from Brazil and UK, and a lot of people transplanted to these uh, to these vessels and these barges, and just like whooping ass on work, like doing 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 diving pr- proficiently, and 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 at a at a heightened sense of safety too that i hadn't i had never seen before i didn't i didn't know that that type of that production based on you know numbers and money that, that that's the way you did things i didn't know it at the time in the military nobody you know you you stick 10 guys on a job and it either gets done or it doesn't but there's you're not accountable for the money you know somebody else way higher on the food chain mm-hmm. being in that atmosphere with those guys it it, it immediately established instead of like a, a a pecking order rank there was a there was a mentor and there was somebody that that i would see and i was like man i want to be like that guy everybody's going to that guy for questions and he seems to have all the answers like how do i how do i get like that guy and every every step of the process had one of those guys whether i was tending you know it was the foreman or the lt mm-hmm. and then when we started getting on jack ups and doing a lot of wellhead abandonment or, you know, a lot of cutting and, and digging and burning. Burning was the, the biggest thing at the time too. Uh, but just kind of moving up that chain and being lucky enough to, to have these mentors that were like, sit down, please be quiet. I will tell you how to properly do this thing. If you'll shut up. Oh yeah, you got it. <laughs> and, and that's hard for somebody that's young to do, you know, to shut up. And uh, what are we talking about when we're telling them to be quiet or to shut up? You know, it's not necessarily, hey, keep your lips zipped and just do this or that or whatever, right? It's we're we're saying just stop and listen. If they're telling you, hey, this is how you do it. This is what I want you to do. They don't want to hear. Well, I think this is a better way to do it. If you end up saying that, you're going to get run off, you know, or that person's not going to going to try to teach you anymore. You know, even though you think you might have a better way to do something. You're going to be quiet and do what this, you know, 20 year, you know, dive soup is telling you to do, you know, because he's not going to tell you to do something unsafe. Right, Chad? Absolutely. I, I think that was that was a big difference in the beginning of those days we had in the Gulf was there was no room for for tyrants. You know, there was no there was no time compared to money for for hazing and shenanigans. And, you know, you had your 
you had your, your fun games and, and, and definitely plenty of stories that you could bring back from your offshore hitch. But it, I mean, it's, it's about money, you know, can you produce because almost everybody's getting paid the same. So, and especially on the West coast with, you know, primarily California with union rates, you know, you're a diver and you get in the water, you get paid the same, you know, the, the one year guy and the 20 year guy, when they're in the water, it's the same. You, you have to be proficient, proficient. You got to be the eight hour minimum too in California, which is rough. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's, there's no time to, to screw around. Like you, you, you have to become better than an apprentice at this job and it's got to happen at an escalated rate but we understand you're not going to do it by yourself. We're going to, we're going to pour information into you. We're not going to, we're not going to hide any secrets because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for, for when you go back to the, to the bean counters, to the top line, like the, I want to work as hard as I can. All right. We got you. See what happens when you just, when, when you start yapping for too long. <laughs> The, the what the dive gods just cut you off there? Yeah, they were like, "Enough of your fucking." <laughs> and Neptune's <laughs> like, <laughs> "Sky needs know, another beer." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a good time though. That's that's been the that's been the the separation between you know that those integral chapters in my career was there was always there was always a mentor. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was always somebody who was more than willing to go. Hey, what's your plan? And I'd be like, well, this is my plan. Even if I was in the water too, I'd be like, well, I think I'm going to do it like this. And they'd go, okay, hang on a minute. I like what you're showing me, but I've done this about a dozen times. Why don't you try it this way? And I'd go, well, I think my plan's going to work. And I'm like, trust me, if you if this doesn't work, we'll use your plan. And then, it, you know, nine times out of 10, it would work the way they, they recommend it. And that's, that's kind of how I would, would follow that lead you know, moving throughout the career from the water to the chair, you know, on the, when, when I was, when it, 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 it's kind of a, a separation. Once you, once you go into sat, then they, they kind of rely on you to, to give them elements of the plan throughout your lockout. You know, you got five or six hours down there, depending on how many teams you got in. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta use that as a marathon instead of a sprint. And, and adapt your plan for the day and then look to them for uh, kind of like milestones throughout your dive. So, so you, you did do uh, some sad diving, right? Yeah, that was once I, once I got out there and then I went from one barge to a, to a, a jack up. And I think I ended up back on a DP or back on, back on the crowd, the old Crowley 450. That's when I went into sat. I was, but I'd had, you know, that was that was one thing that the military did is at least it gave me time in the water. So on on paper, it was it looked like, oh, this guy's got, you know, 10 years in the business. Really? <laughs> no, <laughs> I just I just happened to at least be comfortable in the water. And and it was you know, there was a spot open and then they were going to throw me in for a kind of a trial run. And then that's where I stayed for 10 or 11 years. Nice. Just one one sat boat or or one uh, DP vessel after another. And it was, I mean, it was a lot of people don't like that. I, I think it's the best diving there is. I, I, I enjoy being going into the, going into the, to the chamber and then just isolating 
the outside world and just being like, I'll talk to you in 30. <laughs> nice. Yeah. See, I was an inland guy or I'm, I'm still an still. inland guy. That's all. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I keep joking that I already got my retirement job with the port of Long Beach. <laughs> so that's why <laughs> I talk as if my career is over. <laughs> it, is, it is over. You made but, uh, it, baby. You're living it. I got, I got four kids all done. five years apart and I'm going to work till I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's too funny but yeah so so sad diver um was that your goal to get into sat when you started you know in the civilian side or did you just kind of fall into sat you know how no how I, did that all work? I, just, I just i all i wanted to do was work i wanted to i wanted to consistently work and then once once i finally got offshore i would bounce to inland work when i was home but at the time it was like what what job can I get on that's the longest lasting and then I can I can become comfortable and and then just develop this this hammer type you know outlook for the for the bosses that they'll put me on the next one so but anybody who's ever been offshore you know that it's one hustle after the other you know you're mm -hmm. you're on one job and then it ends and then you're hustling for the next one you know Katrina work was great there was plenty of work for everybody I mean you could tell because there was 42 dive companies out there all doing the same Man. thing. <laughs> Have you got any stories from the Katrina yeah. era? I mean, a lot of these guys don't know anything about Katrina. You know, we, uh, we have the Katrina babies and all that, but you know, that's where divers kind of broke out during Katrina. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, depending on who you worked for and who you talked to, it could have been the best of times or, or it could have been, uh, it could have been really callous towards what was coming into the diving industry at the time. You had a lot of people flooding the industry and you needed manning. Like that was the, that was the most important thing. There's so much work now and, and, and there's, there's plenty to go around, but we got to put guys on the job. Some projects ended up with, you know, a slew of awesome individuals and then some, some fell to the wayside. It just depended on which job you were on and who you talked to. We were we were fortunate to have a pretty diverse group, so we had all these bangers for like the the top leads in the in the dive lineup. And I mean, it was you know it's it's oil and gas money, so it's flowing. I mean, it's flowing out of everything that you that you touch. You know, you were you were flying from. I mean, we had guys living all over the nation. Some guys were. It, it, they knew they could get flown so they would move to Puerto Rico or move to Hawaii or move to Brazil because they knew they would, they knew they were a, they were a, a definite asset at the time and they were going to get flown and you'd, you know, you'd fly to new Orleans and they'd give you, you know, a couple of days there to get your wiggles out, so to speak. <laughs> and then, and then it was, you know, you'd, you'd catch a van to Venice or Fushan and, and then you'd go offshore. And then you, if you could at that time, you could plant yourself offshore for, damn near as long as if you were a hand i mean it wasn't unheard of for guys to be doing back-to-back 90-day -back hitches and you know they do three months out there and come back for a week and run out for another three months there was there was so much work and everybody was needed and there was so much sat work too so you had a you had this smaller pool of of guys that were going and sat but it takes a damn village to keep that operation going you know you had you had a day and a night shift of of you know five or six deck crewmen and then riggers and i mean crane operators and 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 then all the L, you know the lsts and the beddies and the soups and the superintendents it was a i mean there's there's 20 guys you know going out to watch one guy work at a time it was nuts 
Yeah, I know uh, during, during Katrina, I was working for an engineering company. So uh, I was already set with that. I didn't get any of that Katrina money. But I do remember that uh, you couldn't find a damn dry suit to save your life. You know, those were just flying off the shelves. The hats were flying off the shelves. Like you couldn't find anything for dive supplies around that time. You know, that was pretty neat. But uh, it was great too because everything that we did at the time was on reclaim. So you came out with like a backpack. You know, instead of having your two bags for like two or three months, you just came out with a backpack because everything was there for you. You know, everything was on reclaim. So all the hats had jewels on them and. Uh, you know, reclaimed heads on the, the front of the, the, the super lights. And then, you know, all the, they didnn't want to, you, you'd spend thousand dollars toting your bag, bags back and forth. They were like, no, nah, we got 20 hot water suits out here. Pick a size. Nice. Nice. Here's, here's 20 Snoopies. Oh no, this one's still in the wrapper. Here's one. Take that one. That's awesome. <laughs> Just get out here. I need you now. Yeah. But it was, a, I tell you what, it was a good, it was a good time to become proficient at stuff that, that you do every now and then, you know, there's <laughs> that, that whenever, whenever I see on somebody's resume of all their extensive burning experience uh, and you're like, Hey, are, you know, we got a burning job coming up. Are you a good burner? And they're like, eh, no, I can burn. Like, no, you, <laughs> you either, <laughs> when you're like, hell, I fuck, I'm a burner, buddy. I, <laughs> I will yeah. smoke. Broke over. Don't you worry about it. But you know that that idea that that the epitome of burning is like black water burning through mud, and and it's there's not a whole lot of jobs for it all the time. Mm-hmm. At that time, that was all we were doing. I mean, there was a lockout every day, every other day of just just busting through rod. I mean, we get rod by the pallet. You know, on a on a regular basis, just crew boats coming out with rod. There was so much burning because. When those platforms went down, you know, first you had to remove the wreckage and then try and get the top deck off. And then you had to salvage all the crap that was on bottom. And then it was digging. Then you would dig these massive holes and either slope it at three to one or you would build these giant coffer dams. And then you would go after the wells and you would try and dig down till you got straight pipe, cut that, and then put a subsea wellhead on. And then it was then it was like easy days after that. Once the wellheads were on, they were just going down hole with either explosives or concrete or wire line. And, and sometimes after that, it was, it was a nice job to be on. But in that preliminary phase, if you were, you know, if you had established yourself as, as a guy that could, you know, wedding cake wellheads like that, or you were putting on wellheads, or you were this super burner, they would pull you off of that job in the middle. And then the next sat job that was going on, that was in that first and second phase, they would pump you into that. And then some guys, that's all, I mean, that's all we did for some of them was like two and a half years, just two and a half years of straight burning. And damn, zero kids at, you know, sat depths. And it was great. I mean, it, it produced this, this like little field of 200 guys that were just amazing underwater. Mm-hmm. Dave Gills and stuff like that. You know, Dave, if anybody doesn't know who Dave Gill, just ask around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had the pleasure to work with Dave Gill at the Tiger Creek. That was such a great job. I, I mean, oh, yeah. thanks for, thanks for putting me on that job. That, that was a really good job. I mean, beautiful scenery. I had my whole family come out too. And we spent a weekend up there just like, you know, fishing and, you know, doing stuff. It was great. But, it's, um, like right out of a magazine. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Even, even so those those are the inland jobs that with a PG and E, 
that uh, are like out in the wilderness, you know, with the dams and stuff. So that's inland dive, and you get a lot of that stuff. Now, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about sat real quick before we change gears. Sure. What makes a sat diver, Chad? Is there a formula that these guys can follow? Patience. That's that's the number one thing. Like you, you have to be, you have to be extremely patient with everything that's outside of your control. You have, you know, you don't, you don't have a choice of who your bell partner is. You know, he could be, he could be everything that's different from you, race, religion, diversity. I mean, he could be, he could be married or not, or, I mean, it, it, it could be, it could be a complete opposite spectrum of who you are. Mm-hmm. You're in such close quarters that you, you have to be, you know, you, you, you try to be as much as possible cordial throughout the whole thing. Like, please and thank you goes a, a long way when you're living in a bathroom with the same person for a month. For and then you have, other, yeah. And then you have the other team, you know, constantly going back. We did a lot of, we did a lot of, you know, six man sat, which essentially was four guys in the, in the big DDC in the big chamber. And then two guys decompressing in the HRC. So it's really a four man team. Two guys go out for 12 hours. They come back. The other two guys go out for the other 12 hours. I mean, you do that nonstop. And at different times of the day too, it's always crossing over. There's no shifts. It's not, it wasn't a, it wasn't IMCA status at the time. And, but you, you have to, if, if you're not, you think you're, you think you're used to close quarters because you got that, that helmet on your head and, and claustrophobia is not in, I've seen a lot of guys do U-turns for a second. They get in there like, like established guys too, guys that are, you know, not not to be taken lightly they you know they just get in there and they're like this is not for me i don't wow. and they and they don't expect it too which is the the hard mm-hmm. part and then it's it's money invested as well that's crazy I, I didn't even know that that uh you've got guys that are pretty much veteran like you know divers that are in there and you know they'll you'll do a complete about face that you know so sat's not for everybody is what we're getting at no it's definitely not there's and there's no timeline for it either like well, you have to have so many dives or you have to have so many days offshore. There's, and we've had guys that have come into sat after 20 years of diving and they, and they do great, but there's been a couple of guys that, that have, you know, been fortunate enough to be in the right spot at the right time where they got into sat a year or two after diving. It's pretty few and far between, mm-hmm. wow. but they did, they were awesome. They were, they were really laid back and mellow and they had a good, they had a good grasp for, mechanics before they had come in they were you know a couple of guys were ex-farmhands or ex-welders or somebody had that been in in some type of either marine construction or regular construction industry so so you can't be a complete a-hole and being sat because it's not going to be pleasant for the other guys i would say it's not impossible because there there are there are some characters out there there's you know, right there's been is a couple that, of is that what you, did so? <laughs> you know but that's the problem too is if you you don't have anywhere to go. You know, if you want to scream and holler or, or if, you know, two guys who are going to rename nameless forever decide to duke it out in a five foot by six foot area. You're telling me you saw that. <laughs> you just get out of the way. <laughs> oh, wow. Let them, let them take care of that for a second. And then like, are you done? Cause none of us can go anywhere. <laughs> now you just have to sit here and pout and you <laughs> need a nice pack. I can't imagine having a physical fist fight and sat. It's 100% possible. Oh my gosh. 
but yeah so i i mean that's kind of diving too though right chad it's like a lot of it's the right place at the right time i know i've gotten some of my best jobs being at the right place at the right time you know and uh how do you get at the right place at the right time i i always i'm i keep it pretty my my bubble small so to speak you know keep my world small when it comes to work like what can i accomplish in this little bubble all right that's complete move it over give me another bubble like one thing at a time, but I think that it, it, it just goes back to what your dad said. You know, if you, if you work hard, people will notice, you know, you're not, I, I think, that, I think the harder you work and the more you show how proficient you are at a certain task, they'll give you another task. And then eventually you, you know how to do everything that they want you to do. Diving is that anomaly where, you know, the old saying, you could be in this business for 30 years and then one day hop on a site and there's something brand new that you never saw before. It happens, but there's legitimate tradesmen that are better masters of their craft. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it by anybody to, to be able to, to hone what they, what they do for a living, just like a, just like a plumber or a mechanic or a, a, a carpenter, you know, it's, it's just another trade. And if you, if you work hard at it, you're going to get better at it. And then people are going to start to notice and they're going to want you on the job. But if you're, if you're, a, you know, the guy that, the guy that is totally awesome, that it's so easy to see that guy. It's just as easy to see the shit bag. Mm-hmm. Let that sink in for a little bit. Right. I mean, part of it too is, is, is uh, you also have to have, You've got to get your craft, you know, well, you know, you got to be good at your craft, but you also have to uh, have like your ducks in a row. So when you do get that call, you can just bam, you're off at the snap of a hat. That means having all your search together, having a uh, having everything ready to go. You know, that's kind of what I was getting at too with a, uh, you know, being at the right place at the right time. I mean, some of the best jobs that I've gotten. They're like, hey, can you do this or do that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then shoot off an email with all your certs and everything's ready to go. I mean, dive supervisors love that. Ops managers love that stuff, don't they, Chad? Oh yeah. When you when you can be there tomorrow is is you know the best thing to them. When they when they call you more more often than not, it's because especially if you're if you're an unknown guy and you're kind of on the peripheral of that second or third string or you're a mercenary type. You know, if you're, and if, if they're, if they're calling you and and you don't know them on a buddy, buddy basis, usually, cause it's, it's word of mouth around this business mm-hmm. and they've probably strung through their core guys or all their core guys are on a job. And now there's a spot for you. Like now there's an opening and this is the call that you've been waiting for. And like, Oh, sorry to call you so late, but uh, you know, we got this job. It's going to be a week. I know it's three hours away, but can you grab your shit and get in the car and go? Yeah, I just got to tell my wife and listen to her crap with me for a second, and then I'll be out. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you, you get your shot, you got to take it, you know. And and getting into the business, that's that's what you gotta you you gotta know what you're signing up for, you know. Uh, you're signing up for pretty much you're leaving at the drop of a hat, because when you say no. That's, you know, it's, I, I mean, I'm not going to say you're not going to get a call back, right? But they're going to, you're going to be lower on the list. There is a list, right, Chad, of guys that I, you call you out. Know, this is, this is where I kind of stray from the pack and, and try to be, try to bring that transparency to 
what I think every working guy, especially in the in the inland sector, should should hear. They should hear this from from companies, and that's don't when you're when you're first getting going. I'll get guys that come in and they're like, they're like, hey man, here's my resume. I know I'm new, but I'm looking for a home. Like I want to be part of this group, and I go, why? Why would you limit yourself to only this company being able to give you money? You need to be hired by everybody. Like you need to drop these resumes, put them on a zip drive so you're not flooding people with paperwork. Go to Best Buy, buy 20 of those little thumb drives and put all your certs on there and go around to everybody and be like, I am available to work. Here's all my certs. Here's my, you know, my, 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 my picture. Put that in there too so they have a face to your resume. And be like, here's all my stuff. I'm ready to go. And do that with everybody. And then once you have landed, you know, two or three <laughs> of these of these better companies to to work for. And by better, I mean people that are giving you money. People that are putting food <laughs> on. You know, yeah. if you if you work for a mom and pop and make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and nobody knows about that mom and pop, but you're just dying to work for Global or Ballard or Oswald, but they only pay you ten thousand dollars a year. Who's the better company to work for? The ones that put food on your table. Yeah. Now that's when you start to go, okay, I can I can maneuver towards these guys to try and get a court position. But I'm gonna I'm still gonna be available to everybody else. And then when they call, when that outskirt company calls and your and your base company is not, that's when you just call the ops guy or you call your handler and go, Hey man, I just got offered a week's worth of work. I'm gonna jump on it. I'll tell you when I'm coming back. Go ahead and uh, you know, take me off the call out list. And they, what they should say is, "Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for thanks for giving me a heads up. I appreciate it. I'm leaving your name on the board." But if some companies feel differently. I don't. I think I think you should. I think I think you should make money to feed your family or yourself, single, whatever the case is. But you you can't you can't be a you can't be a slave to the industry or the company. Like that's a that's a zero win for you. Why would you give everybody else that power? There's no sense in it. Plus, the more companies you work for and the more jobs you get on, you're going to get better. Yeah. You know, by the time you come back around to global or whoever, you're like, hey, what have you been doing for the last six months? Oh, I was on 14 different jobs because you guys are fucking tits up and you didn't have work. <laughs> but oh, now, it's it should be refresh refreshing to people and it should be it should be it sh we should be able to embrace you with that. Like, hey, guess what? We're done. For two months, we're working on contracts. Everything's belly up. Go find work. Go out to whoever you can. You've been awesome. I'll give you a rip. Mm -hmm. But come back yeah. when you're. Yeah, and, and and that's what I really loved about working working for you and uh, Kevin was that you know you guys were transparent about that. You know, you weren't one of those you know people that that kind of got butthurt because you were working for like Ballard or you were working for you know a title or whatever you know or other companies. Uh, up north and stuff, you know, because you saw the value because you were in the same position. Um, how many times do some of these guys that get higher up in companies that they forget kind of where they're coming from? You know, you never forgot where you were coming from. So let's talk about where you're coming from. Your transition from the field to the uh, office. What was that like? I was when when the Gulf kind of dried up. It was back to hustling. And I think I went, I went to Venezuela for a bit and then bounced around some shell jobs in Trinidad and then one to Africa and, and kind of 
I was, I was doing the hustle, but it was getting, it was getting harder and it was transitioning over to, you know, over, over to EMCA and then over overseas. And, and it was the, the, the big difference between offshore and inland isn't the work. It's the scenery. Like you can go anywhere in the world. And once they plant you on the DP boat or the jack up or the barge, the water is still the water. <laughs> you're out in the middle of nowhere. But when you get to go inland, you're in the forest or you're in the woods or you're in a swamp. I mean, sometimes like Tiger Creek, it's, it's picturesque, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think there's more opportunity for, for a lot more diverse work inland. But when I had, when I, right before I was doing a, a hitch in, in Trinidad, I, I had seen the, the, the office position open up and I had always been trying to get back uh, for like, I don't know, three or four years or whatever with, uh, with global on a permanent basis. The Houston had kind of dried up and we got rid of assets there and it had kind of come back to this core, you know, West coast establishment and that, that opening popped up and uh, I had, I had known the VP from, from offshore days and I'd never met Kevin, but uh, I, you know, I threw my name in the, in the hat and they ended up, they ended up bringing me out there for a, for an interview, which I totally fucking bombed (laughs) because I tried to, I tried to be a little bit more honest than I should have. And I should have put on a little bit more of a, of a, of a office guy front. And, uh, but I, I, I had been relying on, I'd been reliant so long on labor expertise and like supervisor and superintendent expertise. Like I, I wanted, I wanted them to know that, you know, through all these years and all this work that I can, I can accomplish whatever you, whatever you put in front of me. Like I have no doubt that with enough time, money, and effort, I can I can be whatever you want me to be, and I can do it. I can do it. You know, awesome. And they were like, "That's great," but we're looking for somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing, not somebody that we have to start from scratch with. <laughs> like, I appreciate your initiative and your drive, but what do you know how to do? And I was like, "Oh, a swing hammer," you know. <laughs> So it, it took kind of another phone call to go, Hey, you know, we like you, but we really need to, we need to really, we really need to zero in on, on what you bring to the table with management. Like your labor experience can help you, especially when we build or estimate or you know, when we go look at jobs, like you'll be doing stuff like that, but you're going to be in an office setting. Like how can you help the team now? Like we don't want to dump the next five years into training you where we could just hire somebody that already has that training and then maybe help use a labor personnel to, to weed them into the, into the nuts and bolts of a project. Like get that you have one side done, but we're really looking for this side. So that's what I would, any advice, especially in today or in today's technological age is you need to become proficient at both early on. You need to, you know, as even as a diver, as much as much time as you can push the office staff without pissing them off or without getting in their way, get in there and be like, hey, I don't you know, I'm, I'm not a core guy and I don't need to see the numbers. But how do you put a proposal together? Like what goes into that? Like, how do you can I go on a job walk? Can I go and see what you guys are looking at when you go on a job walk? Do you need somebody to to do audits on subcontractors that you want? Can I call somebody? Can I call the crane company and see how much they're worth and then add that? What can I add to the, to the, you know, to the pie? What piece can I, can I bring to the puzzle? I think getting on that at, a, at an early stage and showing that you, 
you're proactive about that. It's whether you want to get to the office or not, it's going to help you out as a supervisor, or, mm-hmm. or, which is inevitable. Whether you want a soup or you don't, if you want to, if you want to add another position to be available for it to make money, then become, you know, work on becoming a supervisor. Some people poo poo and they're like, I don't want the responsibility. Sometimes with different unions, it's even less pay. You know, mm-hmm. what, do, what do I get out of it? It's another spot. That's what I get. That's what I would get out of it. I, there's five dive spots. You know, I got, I got to get on, I got to get one of those spots. Well, or I can be the sixth guy, supervisor. I can do all of this. Oh, you need a superintendent. Well, I'm a superintendent too. Now I have seven spots that I can get after. Like being, making yourself more attractive to make money is, you know, it's, it's not all about money, but, but why, why short yourself on it? Why, mm-hmm. why, why give somebody to take the work that you're qualified for right and, and and there comes to a certain point to where again you're getting a little bit older in the trade and it's not you're looking for now but you're looking you know to to kind of move i want to say move up but you know you want to get yourself into a position that's a little bit you know more uh kind of less labor intensive i guess is what i'm getting at even if yeah even if it's not the 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 most the most underrated tool is the project manager. Like he's overworked, underpaid, overstressed. He's got the top of the whole world of the project on his shoulders. But a lot of times he's the most important guy because he has the big picture and he's a liaison to either staff or corporate and, and the supervisors and the labor. He's like this, you know, he's not the general. He's like the general's lackey and he gets shit from both ends but he's always the most important person on the job. He should be. When these, when these guys aren't proficient PMs and they can't talk down to the, to the labor pool and express what they need out of the day, or they can't talk up to the management side and go, this is where we're on the project. This is where we are. I think with money, bounce it off yours. You know, he's a, he's a constant communicator between these two. And he's got the whole job resting on him for accountability. That guy has to be expressly involved with his labor expertise and his management expertise. Like that is, I, 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 I consider the, the PM a more vital role than, than, than ops or GM. You know, if you have a, if you have a good one and a lot of times it takes a little bit older and a little bit grizzled guy to get trust with the client too. You know, there's always that, wow, this guy's, 22 year old engineer what could he possibly know well, i know he knows more than me he went to college i don't <laughs> know maybe we should listen to him for five seconds but immediately when that like 57 year old pm and gray hair comes on the site and you know he's got one leg dragon <laughs> and he's got, he's got a clipboard and he's got drawings and he's like hey everybody be quiet i'm going to lead the meeting and this is what we're going to do for the day all of a sudden people are like oh my god thank you somebody who knows what the hell's going on lead us And like I was saying before, that's kind of what we want to get to. Um, and what what you touched on earlier was that if you're that guy that's in their late 30s that does want to get into those positions, you're you're gonna have to volunteer to do a little bit extra, you know, if you want those positions. Like you said, you know, hey, you mind if I you know called you know such and such to schedule the you know get some rental equipment out here? Or I know this guy, we can try to save the company a little bit of money if we use this company. You know, small things like that go a long way. The more that you make yourself valuable, that's kind of how you move up, right? 
I think so. I think I think the the more you know, it's a it's broken record and kind of worn out. But the more tools you have in your toolbox, you know, the more attractive you're going to be. I had you get guys that that come in and they're like, they're like, man, I will tape hose and I will sweep the shop all day long if you want me to. I don't fucking need that. I can, <laughs> I, I can get anybody tape hose. I, I, what I need is the guy to go out on this project and estimate it for me. Do you know anything about that? Well, no, I guess go tape hose. Go ahead. <laughs> But yeah, I kid you. I kid you not. Jimmy Geisler's nephew. <laughs> he came onto a job once, and uh, I'm taping the end of the umbilical at the end of the day. And he comes up to me. He's like, "Hey, l- let me do that." I'm like really good at taping. <laughs> <laughs> sure as shit, I have never seen anyone tape an umbilical end as fast and easy as he did. I mean, he was just like. Shh. I'm like seriously, you found your calling. That's amazing. I just, That's I just funny. came back from a, from trying to help uh, some guys on the East Coast, and uh, we had finished, we had finished the first part of the job. We're kind of short on, on kind of management personnel on the field, so I went out there and and, and helped out and led this crew. And uh, after this phase of the the project was done, there was a there was a chance to to move on to a different phase, but we had to. There, we had to talk with government types and uh, kind of governing body folks. And there was this, this crew of like pro- some of these project managers that were attached to a, a different company. And they're like, Oh, you know, we're going to be on this meeting too. So I put this, put this plan together and, and was going to present it to these, these governing body guys. And, and, and I had them, I had them, I thought sold on the idea. And uh, I'm talking to these engineers and I'm not, I'm not an engineer, but I can, I was, I was, pretty okay with explaining some differential pressure ideas and kind of lower elevation stuff to where the engineers would, would understand at least where I was coming from. And the guy's like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta find this unknown variable and figure out an equation for it. And I was about to open my mouth and this guy goes, yeah, math is hard. (laughs) I was like, let's, let's keep moving here. I, we got it. Like math is, he's like, yeah, we, math is hard, man. We don't mess with that. And I was like, please stop talking. Please. <laughs> Stupid maths. <laughs> You're this he's thing. not lying. <laughs> no, math is hard. <laughs> I dive, no math. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, let's see the the last job I saw you on was a tiger Creek job. And that was like a, a good job, you know, that I loved because you had a bunch of all stars in that job. Now, that was like early when you were first uh first the ops manager there right that was like the first half year or something i think yeah yeah that was yeah i think within that first year we i was i was mm-hmm. making the transition to the you know to the opportunities mm-hmm. kind of figuring out you know where to where i fit in with that and how i could how i could better my position and and help out the group and uh, it just it slowly started to come in, just like just like labor work. More, you know. And Kevin was a good mentor. He would he would give me just enough leash to hang myself, and then he would pull me back. But he would he would you know he would feed me different different phases of of projects, either that were already going on or like smaller ones to build. And then it kind of ended up in a in a price range a little bit. But he would you know, he would give me something to build you know, in the 50 and hundred thousand dollar range and try and make a profit out of that. And then if it, it turned out good, or if he didn't have to, 
you know, if he didn't have to tweak it too much, you know, let me do a few of those. And then he would give me some other ones until we were just a tag team. You know, we were trying to find and build, you know, a million dollar project. That's awesome because so so you you had mentors in the diving business early and then you had your mentor in the office too that really helped you kind of find your own, you know. So you Every you got day. it. That yeah. that's that's amazing. And uh these like you know who they are on the job site. You know, those are the people that you stick close to, the ones that, you know, everyone's looking to, like you said earlier, to answer the questions and stuff, you know, kind of sidle them and, and just learn by watching and then asking them questions. Yeah, just the power of mimic, you know, mm-hmm. if you can if you can mimic and mirror the things that they do and and watch what's successful for them, because, every, every, you know, <laughs> for every for every 10 dives, there's always one blown dive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, matter, no matter who you are, but it, it, when they when they come up from a dive and you know people are high fiving them or hey good job like well way to do you know then you're like hey man how'd you do that you know what's the mm-hmm. what's the what's the magical trick I'm I'm missing and then they they start feeding you that info they should right so I had a blown dive at Tiger Creek but it wasn't in the water and uh. I couldn't couldn't clear in the chamber. I don't know if you remember that. You drove all the way from, you know, from Vallejo, and that impressed me. It's like you showed up and I was like, "Holy cow, what's he doing here?" You know, and uh, so I I couldn't clear in the chamber, and uh, I I don't know why the dudes were panicking, you know, but there was like scuffle going on outside. Part of it is because we had the uh, had the darn box off and we were blowing ourselves down, so. I stopped blowing myself down and I'm trying to pound and just say, Hey, you know, we need to, we need to vent a little bit. I need to drop down at the, at that point, no one was kind of paying attention. So, you know, it, it, you know, time was ticking. So end up getting stuck, couldn't clear. And then, uh, got me down to 20 and kind of stayed there They put me on a table five. So, um, when someone's put on a, a de- uh, on, on a treatment table, um, that's kind of a big thing, right? I think, you know, there's, there's different outs to that too. You know, there's a, there's a double level out procedure for specifically for people that get stuck in that transition during the SIRD. Yeah, and I, that's what I was going to ask you about. I wanted you to explain that too, about like, you know, what the out is for that. Yeah. I, I, and I think that goes back to, you know, just harnessing your trade at these different levels that you want to be at, you know, anybody can, anybody can take notes and hold the mic and, and lead the crew and conduct the project as a supervisor. But what's, what's very specific to this, to this industry is that this what if factor. What if something happens? What if something get, somebody gets trapped? What if somebody can't clear in the chamber? Like these things that don't usually happen on a regular basis, there's a, there's a slew of emergency procedures for this. There's a ton of them and then there's a book to follow, but that's part of being a supervisor and a superintendent is becoming well-versed in these, these emergency procedures and these what if factors, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a big magnet. I think for clients too, when they, they always want to know how much, how come, how come it costs this much? I can't believe we're paying this much for, for guys to get in the water. Yeah. Cause they can get fucking killed. That's why. Cause at any moment, this bright sunny day can rain down fucking sadness when somebody gets killed in the water. And it could be nobody's fault. It could be a, a, a freak accident. It's happened before, but 
if you've tried everything you can and you have all these emergency procedure tools to follow and you follow them, you know, you've done your, you know, you don't, you know, you've done your job. It doesn't, it doesn't take a, a guy that can, you know, read manuals and memorize shit. But, you know, when you're going out on a job, you have these different, these different what ifs that could happen and you should, you should be versed in those. And I think that's a, that, that may be one of the, one of the bigger differences between kind of offshore and inland life is, you know, inland tends to be uh, shallow water projects, but a lot of labor intensive work at that shallow water. Mm -hmm. When you offshore, you have kind of a bigger support team and a lot of knowledge all around, whether it's on the deck or in the chamber or, you know, in the dive shack, whether it's the company man, the superintendent during different shifts of the day, like you've got a lot of knowledge, support and people that you can say, Hey, look in the book real quick. Inland is a little bit more smaller footprint, but, but the same type of things can happen because we do have, you know, deep air and gas projects and sap projects that are inland, you know, having, having a, a well-versed team to, to attack stuff like that. And I think that was a, that was a perfect example. What happened up there, there was, there's an additional emergency procedure for when that happens. It doesn't have to be the only thing you go to. You can go to the treatment table. It's, it's just as advised by cereal or uh, mm -hmm. older men or the other guys as, as is the double, double out, you know, but, and then it's not, those aren't the only two, but, but having your, having your team versed on these, what if scenarios, I think pays dividends in, in any situation, you know, an extra five minute talk or an extra 20 minute, you know, debrief at the end of the day, or making sure people are, on point with what their positions are, especially if they're messing around with a chamber and they've been digging holes in 10 feet of water for the last five years. You know, now all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I can run a chamber. I ran it at school. Did you run this chamber? Well, this mm -hmm. one's a little different. <laughs> or, you know, what happens when we do a dive scenario? Well, I'll jump in and I'll get them out. Where are you going to jump? Nobody's jumping. we got a ladder that's sitting on top of 10 acres of sheep pop. Where are you going to jump? How are you going to get down to the guy? You know, go over that stuff in your in your EPs and day one on, on longer term projects, too. It's super important. I think massively important for the what if factor on, on any job, especially long term jobs where you have that tendency to get a little complacent doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, definitely staying fresh and, you know, seeing how how we had those uh, those fresh guys there. We kind of knew what to do you know, when, when that situation arose. And again, thanks for coming out and just doing that neuro and just making sure that I was all right. You know, uh, I, I've never had a, you know, office manager guy come out from the office to do that, you know, or even seen that before. So, you know, well, that, that kind of spoke a lot. Your fingers on Armando. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, have you got any, uh, any sea stories you might want to share with us real quick before we open up to questions? How long you got? Oh geez, we got all night, right, guys? I'll start. I'll, I'll, I'll we'll we'll escalate them. All right, here we go. I remember. I remember. Uh, this was like uh, uh, early '90s, and we were we were diving on on navy ships, and or not early, uh, mid to late '90s, and we were diving on navy ships, and. Uh, we had we were diving two guys at a time doing husbandry and putting patches on and uh we had this one one young kid who was uh he was really really good in the water but he was uh he was deathly afraid of the dark like it didn't matter if it was in the water or in a house or in a hotel room he just couldn't he, he got it was some kind of some type of phobia and he got he would flip out if he got caught in the dark 
so you know they were they were messing with him a little bit and you know shut off all the lights and everything and 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 had the comms to where you know he couldn't hear and they could hear him and you know he's like hey you know just freaking freaking the f out right he's like hey you got to turn the lights back on I'm, I'm coming back up and then they put the comms back on they're like no nah, just stay there we're, we're messing with it and he's just panting you know profusely over the mic just like oh god oh, oh what so they're like, they're like, you know, Kason, go down there and, and and sneak up on him. Scare the crap out of him, man. We'll put the camera on him. We'll, we'll turn the lights on, right? As you scare him. So I go down there and I'm I'm, I'm sneaking. It, we were we were next to a pier, so I'm, I'm sneaking down the pile. And I'm, it was pretty good biz, so I'm kind of following his hose out to him. And I was about to just jump on his back. And as I get closer, he's got his spider co out in one hand and his and he's got his, his spud wrench out in the other. And he's just like, <laughs> see it and I came sure I was like, I'm not fucking touching him. And he's stab me and like jump on his back. And they they turn the lights on. And the guy and he's just like, he's like, oh, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm out of here, guys. I got to get out of here. And then he turned around and mm-hmm. saw me, and I was just like, hey, I'm, we're good, right? I'm just I'm just down here to work. You know, you go back up there. And he's like, oh. And he came over in the water, and he was, like, trying to hug me underwater. <laughs> he's like, oh, I can't do this anymore, man. I got to get out of here. I was like, yeah, just don't fucking stab me, man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Can't do this anymore, like, at all, like, in general? <laughs> he's done. He quit after that. After that Damn, no, he didn't. He Damn, quit. He quit. Word of God, he quit. Fun. And then we got back up, and we're like, you know, he was packing all of his stuff and leaving. Yeah. Like, wow. like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not diving anymore. Wow. And I was wow. like, buddy. Let's stop for a minute and talk about pressure junkies. Pressure junkies make some badass suits. Go to pressurejunkies.com. That's pressure junkies with a Z.com. What's so different about these wetsuits? Well, they're not your typical scuba suits off the shelf. That's for sure. These suits, for one, are built for the working diver. Trevor Heinz, the brains behind Pressure Junkies, is an active working diver for the past 20 years. So he knows what we want, and what we want is to not struggle into a wet-ass suit at oh dark 30 in the morning. So what did he do? Well, he put zippers on the cuffs and the ankles, and most of his suits are front entry. What else could you want? Well, I'll tell you what you want. You want Kevlar on the elbows and the knees and pockets on the pant legs to store all those bolts and store all those little nuts that you're trying to uh, try to wiggle on. They're comfortable. They offer maximum protection, thermal protection, and style. And who doesn't want to look good while they're getting dirty? Pressure Junkies wetsuits are commercial diving suits for the working diver, and they're not going to break your bank. Suits are affordable, they last long, and they're just like us. They work hard. So go to PressureJunkies.com. That's PressureJunkies.com. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. Make sure you like and follow on our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends or anyone interested in commercial diving. The only way that uh, we can make this successful is if we do get a lot of people that are listening. We get more listeners, we get more sponsors, and that means more free stuff for you guys. That's right. We are hooking up all of our diver brothers and sisters in the trade 
And uh, if you keep sharing and liking, we're able to do that a lot more. Our Instagram is at BottomDwellersDS. Our Facebook is Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack. And you can always like and follow me at LB Diver on both. The Bottom Dwellers Dive Shack is available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Anchor. We also have it streaming on our website at thebottomdwellers.com. So keep listening, keep it safe, keep it salty. This is LB Diver, out.